0: please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I'm glad to be with you tonight and for us to continue our time in God's Word together. You know, I'm going to say this just really briefly for just a moment, that I truly do love the opportunity to come at night and to be able to continue our Lord's Day service. You know, when Grant and I were and the elders were praying about an evening service back in the middle of the heart of COVID, by the way, we thought, we didn't know how this was really going to launch, but obviously the Lord has blessed it, because the sole purpose and the crux of our evening service is to begin and end our day in worship, and to really to bracket the day with an opportunity to come and sit at the feet of the cross, and to be able to worship, to sit underneath the teaching of God's Word, but also to build fellowship and to see one another, not only in the morning, but also in the evening. And that's why we do this. This is not just another program. It is an opportunity to worship. It's an opportunity to worship. And so I say that just from my own heart, and an opportunity just to say I'm glad that all of you are here tonight. If you have your Bibles open, let's go ahead and connect to where we are going this Sunday and next. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask, if you will, turn over to Third John. Third John. And if you are new to the student of the Bible Go to the end of the back of the Bible, towards Revelation, go Jude, and then 3 John. So it is towards the tail end of your Bible. And let me give you a roadmap of where we are going tonight and as well as next Sunday evening as well. But we are going to be doing a two-part sermon series in 3 John. Now, not a lot of us have probably walked through 3 John before. Does anybody know what the shortest book of the New Testament is? Third John, you get an A, you get a gold star on your report card. It is Third John. I know if you were to flip over just one page to Second John, you would see it has 13 verses compared to 15, but when you look at word count, it actually is shorter than Second John. And so, but it is the shortest book in the Bible, but nonetheless, it packs a powerful punch. This short little letter that John writes to his friend and fellow faithful follower of Christ, Gaius, is one that we need to hear today. And And the crux of what we're going to be looking at tonight and as well as next Sunday, as you can tell in your bulletin, we're going to be looking at the faithful work of the church, what the faithful work of the church is tonight. And next Sunday, we're going to be looking at opposition to the church, opposition to the church. And so tonight, we're going to be looking at the faithful side of church work. And specifically, we're going to be talking a lot about this man named Gaius, or depending on what part of North Carolina you're from, it could be Gaius. I grew up Called Gaius. I'm going to say Gaius because that's what I've been saying to myself all week. But let me give you a little context to where we are in Third John. This is three letters that the Apostle John has written to a group of churches. John at this time has not been exiled to Patmos yet. He is much older in life. He's writing from the from Ephesus. We know Ephesus very well from Paul's journey, and he is writing to these churches to give them a warning. To give them a warning. And the warning is clear. There are defectors, or there are also known as false teachers that have come into the church, have infiltrated the church, and they are preaching a false gospel. They're preaching a false gospel. Now these false teachers are doing four things. Number one, they are denying the person and the work of Christ. Most importantly, they are denying his redemptive work. Number two, They're not practicing the love of Christ, brotherly love. And the reason why I pull that out is if you have studied 1 John before, you know that John is nothing but a brother, an apostle of love, over and over and over again. If you've walked through John's letters, you would probably have walked through 1 John before, or you have heard 1 John before at a what? At a wedding, because 1 John chapter 4 is over and over again replete of the definition of godly love. The third thing these false teachers are doing is that they're arrogant. They're arrogant. They're arrogant. Why are they arrogant? They think they know the true gospel, but in fact it is entirely false. And the fourth thing that they are opposing is a low view of sin. Let me say it another way. They don't understand the the ramifications of what sin does. They don't understand that sin separates us from a holy God. They don't understand that sin does damaging effects to our lives and can just keep us so far away from our Lord and Savior that it can send us all the way to hell. It's a reality that these false teachers over and over and over again are saying, listen, John's church, it's no good. This is the way you should go, this false way. And so that's where we are. And so if you were to look at these three letters together, John starts off in the first letter of John basically like a test. And the whole letter of 1 John is for you to see this litmus test, this line in the sand, so to speak, as if you're on the faithful side of following Christ or you're opposing Christ. Over and over and over again, he gives nothing but test after test to make sure you are a true and faithful follower of Christ. Second and Third John are nothing more of, a bunch of an echo of one another, saying both support or commendation of faithful work of the church and as well as a warning to those who were opposing the work of the church, opposing the gospel of Jesus Jesus Christ or opposing gospel ministry. Let me say it in, a, in another way. And that's where we are in regards to 3 John. And so tonight what we're going to be looking at is really more than anything, this letter from the apostle John that is commending the work of a man named Gaius. Now, this is the same John, by the way, that wrote the gospel of John. This is the same John who was there When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain with with who James and who else Peter this is also the same John who was there at the foot of the cross who saw our Lord crucified for our sins this is the same John who also got the commission from Jesus to take care of who his mother Mary and this is also the same John Who was there with Peter and the boys in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the work of the church? That nothing will thwart the work of the church, Christ's church. So, this is John writing again to his beloved church, his beloved Gaius. And so, tonight, if you catch your Bibles open, let's read verses 1 through 8, verses 1 through 8. And that's what we're going to be looking at tonight in our time together. So, <clears throat> listen along with me in God's Word. Starting in verse one, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and all that you may be good in good health, as it goes with well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you were walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in your, all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they are, have gone out for the sake of the name, as accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and just ask him to lead us in our time together. If you will, let's bow our heads and go to the throne of grace. Eternal Lord and Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the another hour that we can come and sit at the feet, your feet, Lord, and to worship and to sit underneath the teaching of your word. Father, I pray, guide us through your word. Increase and help me decrease. Teach us through the power of the Spirit. And we pray all these things in Christ's good and holy name. Amen. Look with me in verse 1. It says, The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. John identifies himself as an elder. And what is an elder? It is one who presides over the church. And I remember this is John who's in Ephesus, but he has helped plant these churches that are from afar at this point. But John, when you see that word of elder, this is one who is presiding over the church. And we see the qualifications of an elder that Paul, excuse me, that. John would know about through Paul's writings in First Timothy chapter 3. We see the qualifications there of what an elder is supposed to look like, and we also see it in Titus chapter 1. They are high and they are holy aspirations for those who are going to be called an elder. But also what we see with this, this word elder is that it goes hand in hand with another word called pastor. And that's what we see here from John in verse 1. This is, this is the heart of John, the elder, but also the heart of John, a pastor. But look further as we go a little bit deeper into verse 1. To my beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. John has a heart of love. If we were to go back into 1 John, you would see over and over and over again, like I said, this repeated theme of the love of Christ that is being poured out not only to the brethren, but also we can see here with Gaius. And this is an important point for us to see because this really sets the tone for us as we are going to go through this letter in Third John because this is the heart of a pastor. This is the heart of the Apostle John that he has for his beloved friend Gaius. And this really sets the tone for us because what an entrance for us to see this, not only an encouragement of the Lord, but also a, an opposition or a warning against that we will see next week that John has for his church, for Gaius. This love permeates all throughout this letter for his brother Gaius. And when we understand this first word of beloved, it is where we get the Greek word abagatos in the Greek. That term is a term of endearment. It's a term of one who is being cared for. It is a word word for love. And then when we go a little bit further, whom I love and truth, this is where we get our word agape that you may have heard before in the Greek. This word love is actually derived from this term of beloved. But nonetheless, what we see here in a nutshell is this word of of affection that John uses towards Gaius. It's brotherly affection that he has for this brother named Gaius. And so John, here at the end of verse 1, is wanting to see where this beloved love is being anchored in you see that last word in verse 1? What is it? Truth. It's anchored in the truth. This is not feel-good, passionate love. This is love that is anchored in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. This is love that is anchored in the truth of who God is and what he has done. And this very much, again, is helping us set the tone for this letter that we see, because this word truth here is the Greek where we get the word aletheia, but it's anchored in divine truth. It's anchored in divine truth. It's anchored in who God is. And I know I've said that twice already, but it begs repeating with a purpose and a cause. Because so often it's easy for us to look, especially from outside a worldview, so to speak, looking in to say, well, this is just nothing but feel good love. He loves his brother. No, this is anchored in divine truth, eternal truth of who God is. And then again, this is important for us to see because John, of all people, knows that true truth, divine truth, is anchored in Christ and Christ alone. John, of all peoples, knows when he was there with Peter in John chapter 6, verse 6 to 8, he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Because you have the words of eternal life. Uh, the apostle John believed this more than anything, that true truth, understanding of the world around us and what life is all about is anchored in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ transfixes everything we understand and know. And this is what John is pulling out for us. And this is also helping us understand this brotherly love and affection that he has for Gaius and as well as the churches that he's writing to. And so John is helping us to see right out of the gate the heart of of this elder heart of a, an apostle but again I want to use the word pastor pastor this is the heart of a pastor now the reason why I want to call that out and bring it to your attention is because the reality is this there are many pastors in this day and age all across this country all across this world that are not anchored in the truth they are not anchored in the love of Christ they are not anchored in what we see that John is commending to Gaius. And the reason why I call that out for us to see tonight is because what we don't, when we don't see pastors and churches anchored in this divine truth of who God is, you're going to see nothing but a program-centered, big building, nothing but feel-good messages coming out of the pulpit. But what we see from John is he's setting the tone for us to see the, the true understanding of a pastor comes from the perspective of knowing God. John is taking serious the things of God. You follow me? He's taking serious the things of God. And a pastor has to know this. Because if you go back to 1 Timothy chapter 3 or Titus 1 and you see the qualifications of an elder or a pastor, they are serious callings. It's something that we are not to take lightly of. They are to be above reproach. They're supposed to be the husband of one wife. They're not supposed to be a drunkard. But what you see, especially in Titus 1, is that that man, that pastor, is supposed to hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. He's supposed to be God's steward, God's steward. But the reality is this, though those callings and those qualifications are for men called to the office of elder, by the way, those are also qualifications that every disciple should aspire to. When you see above reproach, you should be living a life of integrity. When you see not a drunkard, that applies to everybody. When you see those qualifications listed in 1 Timothy and as well as Titus, you should be looking at yourself as well. And that's something for us to pull out because the reality is this. I can tell you from my heart, and I say this humbly as the associate pastor here, if I wasn't anchored in truth, this would just be another job. This, my words would be empty. Grant's words would be empty. But I can tell you from my heart, from Grant's heart, from our lay elders' hearts, our ministry, our work is God-centered. It's for the fear of the Lord because it's pure and it's enduring and endures forever. That's what ministry is about. It's not some feel-good love language. It's not some emotional exercises that we're supposed to partake in week in and week out. No, it's anchored in the fear of God, which shakes us to our core in a good way because it allows us to bow the knee like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6 and say, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And only knowing through the redemptive work of Christ that we can approach the throne of grace and worship the King of Kings and have life everlasting. The job of a pastor is to hold up the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. And that's what we see here from already in verse 1. Now we can pretty much pray and go home now, can't we? But the reality is this. This is the heart of John. This is the heart of the elder John that is setting forth before us in this short and brief letter. Now look with me in verse 2. He goes a little bit further. He says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. The love and the truth of Christ that, that... the apostle John has for Gaius is now going on a very practical level. And it really is a two-sided coin that we see here. It's a two-sided coin that we see here. The first is this. When you see that word there in verse 2, that it may go well with you, that you may be in good health, and it may go well with your soul, John is saying on one side of the coin, I want you truly to be healthy. I'm praying for your health. That's a good thing. That's something I actually pray for all of you, for, for your health to be well, for you to be healthy. But the other side of the coin is what John helps us to see, as well as Paul writes to Tim Titus and Titus 2, to be of also of sound doctrine. Good health equals sound doctrine. We have to see that connection there, what John is writing to Gaius. So he's praying, I, I pray that your health is good, I hope you're healthy, but most importantly, I pray that you are walking in sound doctrine. And that's what we see in Titus 2.1 as well. When it says, Paul to Titus, he says, But teach what accords to sound doctrine. And what is that doctrine? What is that truth that he is anchored in? First Timothy 1.11 reminds us, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. The gospel of the glory of God. And that's what we see. Verse 3, look with me. John goes a little bit further. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. So right after the prayer of blessing in verse 2, we see now John is rejoicing in the fact that Gaius has showed Christ-like love to these fellow missionaries that are going to spread the name of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. That's what he's saying here. He's commending Gaius for showing Christ-like love for these total strangers that have come into Gaius's region, to Gaius's hometown, and he is, and John is saying, "Thank you for taking care of them. Thank you for showing Christ-like love to these brothers." And it's important for us to see this this verse here in three, because here are a couple of words I want you to either underline or to write in your notes if you have. A piece, piece of paper with you. Testified to your truth, so that phrase first, as you are walking in the truth. Testified to your truth, and you're walking in the truth. Verse three is an important verse for us to understand this man, Gai- Gaius, in a whole different way. Because what verse 3 helps us to do, it is a litmus test, very much we would see in 1 John. The litmus test is this. Are you a faithful follower of Christ? Are you taking serious your walk with Christ? Because if you're not, that couldn't be said of you, could it? I've heard your testimony. I've heard what you've been doing. I've heard that you've been taking care of these brothers in Christ who are missionaries, who are going to the ends of the earth for the sake of Christ, People can't say that. Because if the opposite is said, if you are not being obedient to the commands of Christ, there would be no d- d- testimony. No one will be commending of you of your faith. What this is a test of goes back to one of those qualifications I mentioned earlier in 1 Timothy 3, which is, Are you above reproach? Are you a man or a woman walking in integrity? And that's what we see here. Because whether we realize it or not, What you truly believe is going to show itself up whether you like it or not. It's like my mom used to say, what you are, excuse me, what you hang out with is what you are. Remember that phrase? Now, since I was a perfect child, she didn't really have to say that a whole lot. But being that I walked in perfection my adolescent years, it's phrases I heard my friends say, um, just kidding, but nonetheless, It is a litmus test for you to make sure you're walking above reproach, a walking in integrity. Because what you believe, your actions are always going to follow. What do people say about your actions? What do people say about your words? When you're driving alone around in your car, what are you thinking about? When you get a lot of windshield time, as the old expression says, what's going on? What are you talking to yourself about? What are you beating the dashboard over? If you want to beat the dashboard, that's a new hobby that you can pick up. But nonetheless, it is a serious question. Because I want to ask you again are you taking serious your walk with Christ? Because that's what verse 3 exposes before us. Luke chapter 6 reminds us this out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What you speak is what your heart believes. Matthew chapter 7 reminds us, so every healthy tree bears good fruit, but a diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Pretty stark word, isn't it, from Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Gaius could have easily turned away and run. Gaius could have easily turned away. And not helped out these brothers in Christ and their missionary work, but he didn't. He didn't. It's the same with the example of our brother Boaz and Ruth. Boaz wanted to marry Ruth, wanted to redeem. Remember Ruth. He could have easily not gone before the elders and bought the field according to what the law. Gone publicly and bought the field. Remember he had to put his. They exchanged shoes to show the the passing of property. He probably could have easily slipped by and said, come on, Ruth, be my wife. No one's ever going to see anything. But no, he went the way of the Lord. And that's what we see in verse 3. A lot of you know this before, but my grandfather worked for a funeral home. And in high school, I worked for that funeral home, and as well as a little bit in college, which also explains a lot of weirdness about myself. But, nonetheless, I worked in the funeral home. But when you go to a funeral, after a while, you hear the same thing. You hear the same thing. And you can guess pretty much within two or three minutes whether or not this person was good or bad. A good brother or a bad brother. But here's something that hit me when I was in, in college working. I came in for the summer and helped out one time. The people that left a legacy, the people that left an impact... Are the people who got up, or the pastor who got up, and talked about those attributes? It was brothers or sisters who had gone on, who have been deceased, who were praised because they were selfless. The ones that you really heard those home run victories about were brothers and sisters in Christ, who died to self and served. Think about that. Our funerals are coming. What's well, going to be said at yours? What's gonna be said at mine? And that's a serious question to ask. Yeah, we hear about the success stories at funerals, but what really matters is the people that get up there, hard to be able to talk about it because of the love they have felt from that person who's deceased. And again, the ones that have the cherry on top are those brothers and sisters in Christ who gave Christ-like love And I know probably right now, even this moment, you're thinking of those people who have helped you to go along the way in your Christ-like walk. And that's what we see in verse 3. And it's a pretty stark word that we see. So, going a little bit further, in verse 4, here's where we see Paul say, I have no, excuse me, John say, I have no greater joy than to hear my children are walking in the truth. This again, again goes back to the, the phrase I said earlier, this is the heart of a pastor. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. My prayer for you daily is for you to behold the glory of God, for you to be well with your health, for you to magnify Christ in every sphere of your life, but also for you to be a testimony that is above reproach. To have a testimony above reproach. Verse four is the heart of a pastor again. Because the reality that John is setting before us is the question I've asked already. Are you taking serious your walk with Christ? When you go to another town, you go to another church, can people say and come back to capital and say, hey, listen, that, that brother Bob or sister Susan or whoever, man, she really, she really magnifies the Lord. Like my youth pastor used to say to us growing up, we live before an audience of one. You ever heard that phrase before, an audience of one? Whether you realize it or not, folks, you're representatives of the kingdom of God. You're representatives of Jesus, but you're also representatives to Capital Community Church. You take a great deal behind you when you walk out of those doors and go about your work day and your family life and your friendship life. The call of Christ is serious, and it has serious demands on our life. And that's what we see here in verse 4, is this is the heart of a pastor. This is the heart of the pastor. If you got your Bibles, flip over really briefly to the book of Psalms, Psalm one nineteen, and this is these are some verses I say to myself daily. Psalm one nineteen, verses twenty seven and twenty eight, one twenty seven and 128, Excuse me. Listen to these words. Therefore. I love your commandments above gold and fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right. I hate every false way. Can you echo that tonight? Do you love God's word more than gold? Do you consider the ways of the Lord right? And do you hate every false way? These verses also set the tone for when we go back to Psalm 1. The blessed man or the cursed man? two paths of life here that we see so look with me in verses five and six so here we're getting in a little bit further deeper into this letter verses five and the first half of six now john is actually getting into the practical side of commending gaius of his faithful ministry his faithful service to the lord his faithful work that he has done to these brothers strangers as they were these missionaries, as I'm going to say, as I said before, and I'll say it a few more times this evening, these men that have gone out for the sake of the name, who are going out spreading the name of Christ. Now, here's a couple of things we need to see. Again, we see this idea of beloved. It's a faithful thing in all your efforts. But what are these all your efforts? What does that even mean? What is Gaius doing? Here's the practical element of this letter that we need to see. Gaius is also being commended for supporting missionaries. That's it. Pretty simple, isn't it? He's being commended to supporting these missionaries. What John is saying is, thank you for taking care of these men who I've sent out of my church, who have now have testified of your good works, who have testified that you helped us, that, excuse me, you helped them to be able to continue their work of gospel ministry. This is what John is saying here in verses 5 and 6. But the reality is also this. Whether we realize it or not, we are called to care and to show hospitality for those around us. Now, for the sake of where we are and the time tonight, that word hospitality is what I want to hold up here for a second. Because it's actually a bigger word than we realize and hospitality has many different faces in a good way many different facets many many different divisions for us to look at when we are looking at verses 5 and 6 together because when i say hospitality it's really a twofold that we see here within the gospel excuse me within third john the first is this paul excuse me john makes it clear and as well as paul does and as well as the writer of hebrews and as well as our lord does in matthew that the Bible teaches us that we should care for others in need. Now, we can go into a whole different sermon series about how to help, the, and help people well. So don't get me wrong. I know we can go down that road very quickly, and we should. and We should talk about those things. But for the sake of time, I want us to look at what the Bible tells us to do. If you're going to write these verses down or jot them down, the first one is this, Romans twelve thirteen says this, Share with the saints to those who are in need. Practice hospitality. Practice hospitality. Hebrews 13.2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Angels without knowing it. Matthew 10, whoever receives you receives me. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me. John 10, verse 40. So the Bible is clear. What we see in 3 John, what we see in Matthew, what we see in Hebrews and Romans, is that we have a clear command that we are called to take care of those who are in need. But here's the other side of the application. We are also commanded to care for those who are continuing the work of the ministry. Another word, missionaries. Missionaries. Gaius is doing that. He's helping support to however he did it back then, with his time, with his finances, with his resources, with his shelter, clothes, whatever the case may be, his testimony came back sure, sure that he obeyed the commands of Christ to take care of these brothers so they can be equipped to continue their work. And the the command is clear for us as well. We are called to take care of our missionary brothers and sisters as well and take care much care and love Capital Community because we have an awesome missions ministry here in the life of our church. Well, over 13% of our budget goes to missions, both locally and overseas. A couple hundred thousand dollars goes out of this church to be able to support missionaries all across the world. And we've listed them in time and time before, but there are some right here in Raleigh. There are some here across the nation, And there are some who cannot even be listed for security purposes because they are in a dark, dark country sharing the name of Christ. Pretty humbling, isn't it, to think about it? But that's what we see here. Let me give you this, number two, with this idea of hospitality and caring for our kingdom siblings. Hospitality is also essential in kingdom work. Hospitality, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, says this, the act of being friendly and welcoming guests and visitors. This really is the hallmark of Christian living, showing hospitality to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, the grace and the mercy that we have received from our Lord, like First John 4 reminds us, we love because he first loved us. The love that we have received from the Father, we should be giving to others. It's that clear. It's that clear from scripture. And the same thing with Matthew, Matthew 10. When you receive, when you take in a brother in Christ, you're receiving Christ himself. That's a huge command and conviction, isn't it? But that's what we see with this idea of hospitality. But let me also say it on a practical level. Hospitality is also very much for building up the kingdom of God because what it does is it also continues to help you and me to do life together on a practical sense. When you get to know somebody when you invite them over for a meal, you go to dinner with somebody, you get, to, you get to bring down that Sunday facade and you get to see what's going on. You get to hear about how they're struggling. You get to hear about there are ways they're being encouraged, maybe in a season of blessing. Whatever the case may be, that's what we see with the gift and the command for us to show hospitality. And let me say that also with a couple of practical elements of hospitality. I'd be remiss if I didn't say these few things. Hospitality looks different for everybody. Whether you open your home, you take somebody out for dinner, you call them, which by the way, that means you actually take out your phone and you dial the number and there's a voice on the other end of it. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and I say that because all, you know, we text so much these days. But really, it's, it, there's a voice on the other end of that phone. It's amazing. And, um, but to call somebody, to check in. What's going on? How are you doing? But yes, there is a gift as well of opening up our homes to somebody. Listen, hospitality means you have to give up yourself, you've got to be able to serve. And in, listen, I know all of us in this room can attest from going over to somebody's house, going out to dinner, when someone does that with you, it really is special, isn't it? It's intimate. It's kind. It's sweet. I love how Jonathan Edwards talks about the sweetness of Christ. It really is a sweet time to gather together with the brothers and sisters in Christ. Let me just say this on, our, on another level. COVID robbed us of so many things. But I think what COVID robbed us of more than anything was being together. What COVID showed me as one of your pastors of being in this room by myself with just Grant and a camera for 12 weeks. That's pretty sad. And I'm good looking. (laughs) And Grant, I mean, he's got to put up with this, you know? But listen, I remember that first Sunday when we opened up. It really was honestly a lack of words to see people, just to see people. Let's don't take that for granted. When we are showing hospitality, when Jesus says in Matthew 25, when I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. Remember, he says, Lord, when were you hungry? When did we see you? He answers them, saying, truly, as you did not want to lease of these, you did not to me. Clear command there. But open up our homes. But they also the reality is this. When we are hospitable, it goes back to verse 3. It also shows where your true belief lies. Now listen, hospitality is different for everybody and their own context and season. Okay? You know, when I, for example, you know, when we just had a baby, you know, I'm not going to necessarily maybe invite you over to my house when we've got screaming kids everywhere and all this stuff like that. You, you see what I mean for that example? There might not be the season or the context invite somebody over. But nonetheless, there are so many different ways of the means of grace to be able to be hospitable and to show love for one another. But also, I want to say this. I pray on a practical level, when missionaries come to this place, I pray they will leave when they go back to their mission organizations, when they go back to their home turf, that they can say, I was cared for. I was loved. What a way to go back What a way to echo the words John said to Gaius of your testimony is true. Your testimony is true. But also the reality is this. It's very tempting for us as a people of God not to want to be hospitable in everyday church life. Listen, it's easy for us to be in a fly on the wall, come in, come out, and that's it. Treat it like a bank transaction. I pray that you and me, when you see a guest, welcome them. When you see a brother, a member here at Capitol, welcome them. See how they're doing. I remember a couple of months ago, I called uh, a visitor who is now a member, and I was on the phone with that person. And we're talking, we're getting to know him. They put me on speakerphone with their husband. It's the three of us on the phone, and we're talking. And I remember the husband, I think it was, said to me, hey, by the way, you're not the first person from Capitol to call us. I said, really? He said, yeah. So they started telling me the names of people who had gotten their information, and they had called them before I did. And I'm the best pastor here. <laughs> and yet, someone beat me to it. Grant's not in here, so I can say these things. So, <laughs> but the reality is, that's hospitality. That's how the kingdom is supposed to work. That's how the kingdom is supposed to work. Now look at the end of verse 6b. You do them well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Verse 6b, so to speak, the tail end of 6b, is John again graciously saying, keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Keep doing what you're doing. As Grant says to us a lot here, keep on. Keep on. And that's what he's saying in the end of verse 6. Now look with me in verses 7 and 8. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Now, we've heard it already been said that that, uh, John is commending Gaius of his faithful work and ministry. He's He's saying, yes, you have supported these fellow Christians, these brothers in Christ, to go out and spread the name. Now, by the way, this is the only time directly that we see the name of the Lord being listed here. The name, by the way, is what they would say in these times to talk about Jesus. So that's what John is saying. You could say it in another way of saying, thank you, uh, you would do well, for they were gone out for the sake of Jesus, for the gospel of Christ, as another way for us to see it there in verse 7. But nonetheless, what we see also within verses 7 and 8 is that these missionary workers also are being faithful to what God has called them to do as missionary workers. And where am I getting that? Verse 7, it says, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. And what is a Gentile? It's an unbeliever. Then accept anything from an unbeliever. And why would John need to call that out? Why is that in this letter? The reason why John is calling it out is because at this time, when this letter was written, AD 85 to 100, there would be so many different false teachers out there who were going for the sake of the name, but not even going out, by going on a false way. There were so many Hellenistic Jews out there that were going out, teaching truth as they would define it, but in fact they were teaching something opposite. And they would take advantage of those people extending hospitality to those missionaries. Does that make sense? They would squander the hospitality of the good of others for no good reason, for false reasons. And so what these missionaries have done is that they are going out and saying, We will only accept help and support from faithful followers of Christ. And by God's grace, here comes Gaius. He's faithful. And here he is, the man of the hour, which which is also something for us to think about as well, isn't it? Again, I've been beating it like a dead horse. Repetition is good for the soul. But the reality is this Gaius keeps coming back over and over again because of his testimony, because of his actions. If Gaius didn't open the door, would God have provided for them on the missionary work? Of course. But what we see here, again, is the example of Gaius being faithful to what God has called him to do to take care of these faithful missionaries. But here is the other reality. What we see in verses 7 and 8 is also, I believe, a warning for us also to test other missionaries who were coming and then the name of the Lord, so to speak. There are a lot of, quote, missionaries There are a lot of, quote, pastors. There are a lot of, quote, people out there doing good work in the name of Christ, but they are so far from heaven that it's shocking to see. And I say that as a word of conviction for us, but also warning. Because listen, these missionaries had to test Gaius, and Gaius had to test these missionaries. You see that, the relationship between the two? Because... John is very much, I think, showing us here to use biblical wisdom to be able to make sure we are truly taking care of people for the sake of the name, fellow missionaries, fellow true faithful followers of Christ that we see here. Because 1 John 4, one reminds us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Test the spirits. For many false prophets have gone out into this world But this you may know, the Spirit of God. Listen to this. This is how you know. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. You see what the plus is in the formula? Jesus. There's your test. There's your answer of whether or not. But then you've got to get into the nit and gritty to make sure they know who Jesus really is. There are a lot of false teachers out there that say Jesus, that love Jesus, that talk about him all the time, but they don't know him. like Just like Grant said this morning with the example of Queen Elizabeth. Remember, do you know her versus facts about her? It's a true saving faith that we need to see. And then, of course, <clears throat> in verse 8, John It's clear with his command. He says, therefore, we ought, we ought to support people like these. What is that ought there? It's a command. It's an obligation. I know I've beat it already, but it's again, it begs repeating. We are called to care for fellow missionary workers. We're called to care for fellow missionary workers. It's a command. It's a command. And I know I've said it too many times already, but that's what we see. But what we also the point we need to draw out from verse 8 as well is that we see two sides of the missionary work. We see those who are called to go, and we see those who are called to support. But we also see it flipped over. We are all commissioned to fulfill the Great Commission. We are all commissioned to share the good news of Jesus Christ, no matter where we are. And we are also called to support those who are going out. It's twofold. And I want us to see that there in verse 8. So, in our time tonight, as we close up, I really want to go back to that question again. <clears throat> I want to go back to that question I posed just a moment ago. Are you taking serious your walk with Christ? Are you taking serious your walk with Christ? Gaius is an example. He's an example of faithfulness. He's an example of a man who understands the things of God. He is a man who understands what God has com- called on his life. Gaius is a man to which we can look to as an example. Was he perfect? No. But he's an example. And when you think about that question, are you really taking serious your call to walk as a faithful Christian, your call of Christ, it really goes back to a deep reflection before you and the Lord. Really getting alone with God and asking, is there, like David did, Lord, if there's any grievous way in me, show me and lead me to the way of everlasting. There are Christians falling left and right in this world to moral failures, to outright fleeing the faith like these false teachers have done that John is writing to watch out for? Over and over and over again, we see people who say they walk with Christ, but when you get them out of this building, they look like just everyday Joes. And I don't mean that in a bad way, but you don't know if they're a Christian or not. And that really is something for us to think about, isn't it? Because listen, we have so many influences in our life. We have so many, our education, our background, our parents, our grandparents. There are so many providences of God that have influenced you and have gotten you to be the person you are today, whether you like it or not, for good or for bad. But thank God for his most important providence by saving you, if you are a Christian, and that is a big if. And if what I'm saying to you is fuzzy, and you're trying to make connect the dots, the dots you need to make is a true saving faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray today that if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Come to a saving faith that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, and is alive and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And that truth is going to affect and change everything. The gospel is applicable to all of life. And ladies and gentlemen, fellow members of Capitol, or whether this is your first time with us tonight, I pray that when you go out, I will hear, you will hear, of example after example of after example of faithful Gaiuses out there. Are you a faithful Gaius? Are you being faithful what Christ has called you to do? Or are you running the exact opposite way? Now is the time to confess that. A lot of you know one of the things, Grant and I love are westerns, and one of my favorite movies is Lonesome Dove. There's a part in there. Anybody seen Lonesome Dove? If you haven't, it'll teach you how to live life. Most importantly, the Bible will teach you how to live life. But there's a part in there. (laughs) But there's a part in there that Jake will know that Grant and I say, well, that. There's a part with Augustus McRae and Woodrow McCall. They, uh, they confront one of their fellow um, Texas Rangers, Jake Spoon. And Jake has run off with these outlaws. And he's going to be hung for the consequences of how he's been a bank robber and the like. And Augustus McRae says this famous line. He says, you ride like an outlaw, you die like an outlaw. And that's the ramifications of our sin. You choose the path of evil. You choose the path of sin. It's going to lead you straight down a dead road to damnation and hell. But thanks be to God. We have a Savior, Jesus Christ, who leads us on the path of victory for us to live a life to which we can say and to which we adhere to to be salt and light in this world. So 3 John packs a powerful punch because it helps us to examine our life to make sure we are taking serious the call of Christ. Taking serious what Christ has demanded of our lives. But also the implication is corporately as well. How you take serious your walk with Christ is going to affect the church. You follow that equation? How you take serious your personal walk with Christ is going to affect the corporate walk here at Capitol. We're in this together. We're in this together. Let's bow our heads and pray, and then we will sing the mighty fortresses of our God. Lord. The road to Christianity, the path, the life of a Christian is not always easy. We have suffering, we have hardship, sin. Lord, this world, Satan's thraldom, is constantly breathing down our necks. Lord, we've seen from Third John tonight the clear command to be faithful. To be faithful. Being faithful, Lord, is being, Lord, lock step with the commands of your word. Being men and women of integrity. Being men and women who fear the Lord. Being men and women who understand the great calling and the high calling of Christ Lord help us to be like our example here Gaius help us as the words of Paul follow me as I follow Christ Lord if there is something going on in our life tonight something bearing heavy on our conscience I pray right now for that brother or sister to confess it to you and to repent to run far flee from the sin I pray, Lord, also that you will help us in, this, in these days to take serious what you say about what it means to be a child of God. Lord, we love you. Help us, O oh Lord. And that is the great admonition we have. That's the great word we have because we are not left to ourselves. Thank you, God, for the Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for the church. Thank you, God, for your word. So, Lord, help us hold things close to our heart, the deep things of you. I pray all these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.